All right, I want to welcome everybody today to Mother's Day and as, as we celebrate and, and thank all of the ladies in our church for just all the, the great things that they do. And uh, so Monday morning, Roy and I were kind of going over things for the week and, and whatnot. And he goes, yeah, uh, when, you, when you were preaching Sunday morning, I looked ahead to chapter 17. I leaned over and told Amy, I said, uh, oh, this is going to be good. Mother's Day is going to be the great prostitute. And I thought, oh, good revelation. It just keeps on giving to me. And uh, so I thought, oh, man, you got to be kidding me. And I looked at it and go, oh, my goodness. Yeah, count up how many times that word's used in this chapter. It's going to be, uh, going to be a lot of fun. But actually, I think it's going to be really, really good. And, and it ties in um, with, with everything, obviously, that we've been doing. And, and this chapter and the following chapter all go together, but it is the fall of Babylon and uh, so we'll talk about that and, and what it means. But um, in Revelation chapter 17, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her head was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So as, as we come in here, this is the description of, of the great city of, of evil. And, and in these first six verses, I'd say the question is, is what am I producing that we'd ask ourselves? What is it that I produce? What is it that comes from my life? What is it that, that kind of oozes out of who I am and, and impacts the people around me and so forth. And what we see in this, he, this one of these seven angels that, that we looked at last week comes up and, and he um, tells John, I'm going to show you the judgment of the evil city. I'm going to show you the judgment of evil. And world leaders in here have cozied up to the evil Babylon and have participated in her evil is, is what we see happening here is they have become a part of what is going on because it's easy to do that. They've sought her riches, they've sought her power, and they've looked the other way when, when the culture around them, and, and this is what, when you come in and talk about Babylon, Babylon could be Rome, it could be Babylon prior to that, it could have been the, the Greek empire, it, it could be any empire coming along because when he's speaking of us, he's speaking of of evil um, power structures in our world, but they've sought the riches and the power and, and, and everything that is given by that and look the other way when their values had to be compromised. In other words, it's easier to go along to get along than it is to stand firm on your values and things that are right. It's called, we call it the path of least resistance, but, but it leads to disaster. So remember the beast from the water? Being, being the beast of political power as he came up and, and that it would come in and corrupt the government and the government would rather than care and do what God had designed for it to do rather than to look after the people instead would, would um, 
would take for itself and be self-serving. Um, and so as you looked at those two beasts, and the other one was the government was uh, religious religious institutions, and rather than being institutions that pointed people to Christ and, and the things of God, they were institutions that were self-serving as well. So both of these beasts use their authority to persecute Christians. This is what we're seeing, and this is what's happening here. So coming in in Babylon, following the woman is just a simple path to go down. So he paints this picture of, of this, this metaphorical woman coming up, and, and it's, a, it's the path of least resistance. Small compromises end up bringing terrible pain. So the language that's used here, is, it's very graphic. It conjures up scenes of people who've thrown up, thrown off all, all restraint, and, and that's a fair assessment because it starts with the simple compromise that, that yields some nice profits. I mean, they're simple compromises. You go, you know, that really wasn't quite so bad. I, I, I compromised a little bit on my values here, but the payoff is big. And, and so I can do that. I, can, I, might, I might tell a little bit of a lie over here, but where it gets me over here is, is, is a great place to be. So the, the ends, you know, what we'll say is the ends justify the means, but we know that that's just a cop-out to say, I violated my conscience. I violated my conscience, and, and I'm going to say something that, that kind of uh, makes that sound okay. So <clears throat> it's where it begins, so harlotry and the sins associated with it are symbolic coming in here as we say of that, that Babylon is the great prostitute is to bring this up within us and, and help us to, to visualize and see this is that it's selling yourself out. It's selling yourself out for, for pay for something that you shouldn't do. And, and so it comes up and, and it, it conjures up this picture of people. They've just thrown off all restraint. They have lost their values. And, and so as we come in here, um, if you come in and look in the scriptures, when you see um, Israel, sometimes called you hoard after other gods, or you chased after other gods, or you prostituted yourself after other gods, what it's saying in there, it's, it's saying you have chosen idols over God. You've chosen a false God over the true God, the living God. So as you come in here and look at this and, and look at the harlotry of the woman and, and the picture of her, um, it's, uh, it, it can show itself up in, in numerous ways as we come in here and, and look at that in our own lives. It, it could show up in, in something really simple like pride. You know, pride can move us down this path. Or maybe it could be gossip. Or maybe it could be envy. Maybe it could be, I want what someone else has and I'll do what it takes to get that. Uh, maybe it could be uh, <clears throat> betrayal theft, uh, sexual immorality, lust. You, you could throw in any number of, of things in there and, and come up with it. In, in Galatians 5, 19, it says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I want... Uh, and it says, I, I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And in other words, he's saying that that is following the harlot. That is when we chase after her. So a little, um, a little taste can go a long way to produce the drunkenness that comes from it. And this is what, what um, 
what John is saying here. I was, I was carried away in it, and it says the, the dwellers on earth have become drunk in, in her immorality, in, in this woman, in following this woman. They've had a little taste of it, and a little taste has led them to more and more and more, and eventually they're drunk on what this beast brings. So following this woman produces blasphemous idolatry. It produces seductive luxury, and immorality, and those who were sealed by God refused to be seduced. So what we begin to see here is the people of God, they refused to follow this beast, and the people of the earth, the earth dwellers, um, they choose to go there. In James 1, 2 through 4, the thing that James would remind us as we come into this and as we live in this situation, and, and really as we come in culturally and you look around us and go, man, where, where are things going? Things seem pretty crazy in our culture. Um, in James 1, 2, and 4, James put it this way. He said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And in other words, what James tells us is, is when we face the beast, when we face the woman coming in, riding and seducing us and calling us to compromise or calling us to step in and take the easy path rather than the, the narrow path, when it, when it says, you know what, if you'll just give in a little bit over here, don't worry about it, the results will be good. Instead, what James says, you know what, hey, when you face that trial, that's a good thing because it's going to build you up. It's going to strengthen you. When you do the right thing and in the face of a lot of people around you who are not doing the right thing, it will build you up. Ultimately, it will strengthen you. It will produce perseverance in you. It will produce character in you. It will produce what the, the woman cannot what the harlot on the beast, she can't do this. She cannot do this for you, but, but God can. So producing a good crop requires steadfastness in your faith. It, it requires that we be steadfast. If we want to produce something that is good, we have to, we have to um, be steadfast in our, in our faith. So the name written on the head of the woman gives us a full view of her character and her destiny. So it, we see here as, as we come in looking down and it says that um, and written on her forehead was a name of mystery and, and what was written on her, it, it's her character. Her character and her destiny are written on her head as we come in here and look at it. It says, Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. So coming in here, first of all, Babylon the Great, that's just, that's just a picture of evil empires that have been throughout history, evil governments that have been throughout history, evil nations that have been throughout history, nations that have followed um, something other than God and ultimately leads to their demise. And then it says that she is a mother. She's a mother. So it's Mother's Day. We'll talk about the mother Babylon, right? Um, that'll you know, make all the mothers in here feel great. Um, but it says she is mother of prostitutes. She is mother of prostitutes. This is what she produces. She produces after herself. When, when we come in and when we follow this woman, we produce after ourselves. And, and he says, and I saw the woman drunk on the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs. So 
She produces idolaters and immorality, and that's a description for her. She looks sharp. She looks good. She looks beautiful. As you come in and describe her coming in, it, uh, it says, I see this woman sitting on a scarlet beast. She's um, full of blasphemous names, seven heads, ten horns. She's uh, arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. And, and she holds this golden cup in her hand. I mean, it's a picture of beauty. It's a picture of opulence. It's a picture of wealth. It's a picture of all of the stuff that, that um, people want. And, and she looks that, this way. And the earth dwellers, those who followed the beast, they became, became drunk on the wine of her immorality. So as, as we come in, we look, um, what are we producing today? Or better yet, as, as we come in, what am I doing to produce spiritual growth in my life? What are you doing to produce spiritual growth in your life? Do you have a, a plan? As you come in, have you, have you taken the time to come in and look and say, you know what? This is where I want to be. This is where I want to go. This is what I want my life to look like. This is what I want to pass down to the next generation. This is what I want to give to the people around me. This is how I want to impact our community. This is what I want to do in our church. And and we don't get there. We don't get to the destination without a plan, without a daily plan to build ourselves up, to spend time in the Word of God, to spend time in prayer, to meditate on that, to think about it, and to invest in that. That's the way that it works. Right now, um, I've, I've been, I pulled everything out of the greenhouse at our house, pulled it all out, cleaned the floor, leveled it, got everything ready. I've got all these starts ready to go, pulled them all out there, got the heat fired up, putting dirt in the buckets, getting everything ready to go. And, and I've done everything that needs to be done to produce a crop. And I'm counting on it. I mean, I'm counting on it. And I think there might be some other people counting on it too. But I'm counting on it. I want real tomatoes. I don't want that store-bought stuff. I want real ones that when you bite them, they are gushy and they have flavor and they taste real and right. And you know what? You don't get that at Safeway or Fred Meyer or anywhere else. You only get that when it's real. It's not stuff that's produced to last for six months on a boat while it ships somewhere. It's real. You pick it today and you eat it. And you know what? I'm going to do everything absolutely perfect. Maybe. I would do it as best as I can. And and you know what? If I do it the right way, I'll get a a good crop. Now, everything won't be perfect. You know, it won't always work right. But you know what? I can do, I, I know in the back of my mind, even if I'm perfect and I do everything perfect, and, and I'm ready to produce everything like exactly I want it to go. The beast may put aphids in there. And if it does, it's just going to get ugly. It's just going to get ugly. And why do I say that? When I say, I, what am I producing? Look, the, the deal is I can do everything right. And things can still go wrong. And sometimes we think, if I do everything right, I can make everybody around me do the right thing. And you can't do that. You can't. But what you can do is this. You do everything within your power, everything within your ability, 
to produce the environment for spiritual growth, for your own spiritual growth. And then you pray that God will influence the people around you with that same thing. And pray that the aphids don't come or whatever other thing that it is. You, you can't fully, you, you can't make other people be what you want them to be. We can't make our kids be holy. We, we can't. All we can do is produce the environment in which it can take place. And this is what we see. What are we producing? What are we doing? Are we doing everything in there? You go, well, that, that's not encouraging. Well, sure, it's encouraging. Look, the deal is I've, I've got a lot of hope. I've got a lot of hope. And I'm doing the work because I think that I will produce the crop. If I thought it was a lost cause, I wouldn't be wasting my time. And that's what spiritual growth is. It's not a, it's not a lost cause. Our, our focus and our drive and our move in this, it's not a lost cause. We just have to understand that there is a woman on a beast and she is beautiful and she is seductive and she does lie and she does offer stuff that will lead people down a path that's dark and hurtful. So we want to do everything that we can to draw them to the beauty of Christ and pray that they'll take that fork in the road. Pray that they'll take that fork in the road. So what am I producing? What am I going to do? How am I going to come that uh, to come through there? So how is your worship through Scripture, prayer, and works on a daily basis? How is your worship, your personal worship? And that comes through prayer, Scripture reading and works. That's what worship is. It's, it's not playing a guitar and singing and doing it, but that's one aspect of it. It's not preaching. That's one aspect of it. But really what it really is, is what you do when you go home today through the next week. That's, that's what worship is. That's where we ascribe worth to God and, and we make him great to the people around us. We make him seen as something that's real and right and there and more attractive than the woman riding on the beast. So that's, that's where it is. So it says the good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil um, treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This is what Jesus said in, in Luke 6, 45. He says, look, it's out of, out of us. What wells up out of us produces something. It either produces good or it produces evil. So the woman is the one who's seducing the earth dwellers, those who don't know Christ, those who are not followers of Christ. Um, and, and he's seducing them or she's seducing them with materialism and false gods. And, and it's a so, sober reminder to us today of the dangers of prosperity. It's just a sober reminder of the dangers of prosperity because this is what the woman is offering. She's offering comfort. She's offering ease. She's offering pleasure. She's offering fun. She's offering all of those things that, that we naturally desire and chase after, but she's offering them outside of God. See, God wants us to have all of those things inside of him. He does want us to have a, a, a life that is 
full and rich and meaningful. Not one with the, it's not that he's worried that we have a big bank account or something else. It's not that. He wants us to have something far greater. He wants us to have something that's built on him. And then wherever the chips fall, they fall. It's knowing that he loves us and he's with us. So this, this is a reminder that um, prosperity can become a, a God that produces spiritual rot. She produces abominations by pouring them out of her golden cup. This is what she produces. She produces abominations. So when we leave Christ, when we leave the worship of God, when we leave focusing on him and on his kingdom, we produce spiritual rot. Um, notice that, that the woman, she doesn't have a scepter in her hand. She doesn't have a scepter in her hand. She has a golden cup full of abominations. A scepter is, is authority and power. Instead, she has abominations. This is what she offers to us. All she brings is destruction. So that would be the first thing. So the first thing is, what am I producing? The second is, what am I consuming? What am I consuming? What am I taking in? He goes on in, in verse, the second half of verse six. He says, and when I saw her, I marveled greatly. I marveled. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven foundations on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. For as for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. It's a mouthful, isn't it? And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour with the beast. These are of one mind and make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those, trust in, and those with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So what am I consuming? John begins here, he says, I marveled. And the angel said, why are you marveling? Why are, you, why are you taking this in? Why are you consuming this? Why are you, um, worship, why, why are you being moved to worship here at, at this, this thing that's going on at this, at this woman? And he says, why? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. So he says, you know what? Don't, don't be drawn to this. Don't be attracted to this. Don't be sucked in. Don't consume this. Instead, let me tell you what this all means. Let me explain to you the beauty that you're being drawn to and, and the falseness of it. Let me show you how it ends. The angel warns John, um, why marvel? Why are you captivated by the har harlot? She's probably mesmerizing. I mean, honestly, if, if you go back to the first six verses and you look at that and, and you can see a picture, and I mean, it's a crazy picture, but if you could picture something along those lines and, and come in and be drawn to it, you, you would be mesmerized. It is it's a mesmerizing sight. It's a sight that, that comes in. And, and honestly, this is the way that destruction is. It, it comes to us and this is the way that we are deceived. We're not deceived through things that are 
horrible and, and de- just ugly and repulsive. We're drawn to things that are beautiful, things that are desirable, things that we want, things that we de- uh, want to acquire. So she has wealth, she has beauty, she has influence, and, and she probably projects power. Think about it. When you come back and you look at this woman, she's got wealth. You look at the jewels, the gold, all the stuff. She has beauty. It doesn't say that she's this ugly woman. It says that she's up here and, and, and she's adorned well and everything's good. She's made up. It's, it's all good. Um, uh, she has influence. People are following her. They're attracted to her. Popular. And she projects power. She projects she doesn't have power. She projects power. She projects it. She appears to be powerful. Jesus said in Luke 4, 8, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Or Psalm 66, 18 says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And in other words, we cannot cherish the things from the harlot we can only cherish the things of God because if we do, we're, we're, we're cut off from God. We're cut off from him when we allow ourselves to be sucked in to the things of the harlot. So we're surrounded by all sorts of distractions. Today, we're, we're surrounded by all sorts of distractions. There are all kinds of things that come in and look for our attention. Some of them are pleasing to the eye. Some cause us to want more. Some of the distractions cause us, I want more. I want this. Some make us feel like we're missing out. Some, some make us feel like uh, we want to be in control. There, there are a multitude of ways to be deceived by prosperity. But think about it. I mean, if, if you um, go out and see anything advertising, everything in advertising is made to feel like you're missing out. You need more. This will make your life better. This thing is what you, this is what's missing. This is the thing that is. And, and that's the deception of the woman. She's saying, you know what? This is a thing that you need. Move your gaze from over here on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Move your gaze over to here to the things that are of this world. The angel says that the earth dwellers, they'll worship the beast. They'll marvel at the beast. Those who don't know Christ will marvel at the things of this world. And, and, and the beast is an imitation of the lamb and will draw them in for destruction because it's a false god. That, that's what the beast is. When, when you come in, it says, you know, the, the one who was, who is, and, and who is, um, <clears throat> who, who will, describes him here, the, the beast, it says that um, he is the one who is and is not and is to come. Um, choosing descriptors that would be used for Jesus. He's a false God. He's a false Christ. He is a false hope. And so as we come in, it's, it's this imitation of the lamb and it's meant to draw us in for destruction. That's what the false lamb is. So there's seven heads and the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. So if, if we come in and go, Holy man, this is just getting bizarre. Seven heads, seven mountains, beast, 10 things here, 10 there. 
and, and whatever, and, and, and we get lost in all the descriptors, and, and John really mixes his metaphors here, which is, you know, you're not supposed to do that, but he, that's, that's normal for this kind of literature, and he does this stuff, and we've got this crazy picture. The, the deal is, is we're not looking at a literal thing here. We're looking at a picture of, of what this is and what it does to us, and for John, he would look at the, the, the seven mountains, and he would immediately say, this is Rome. This is Rome. This is my country. And that was Rome. Um, as a matter of fact, they had a, a celebration every year. You know, Cinco de Mayo was Friday, right? Um, the, you know, this big celebration, which we're in America. I don't get it. But, but anyway, we, we have Cinco de Mayo. And, and um, so uh, <clears throat> we come in and you got the, uh, the, the, seven, the seven mountains. And every year in Rome, they would have their seven mountain celebration. You know, they would have their... Their celebration, like our 4th of July or Cinco de Mayo or whatever, it was their thing. You know, it wasn't their Independence Day, but it was their, their big thing. So they would have this celebration of the seven mountains, and, and they celebrated it. And, and it, was, um, it, it represented these seven mountains for John. You know what the seven mountains represented for him? The oppressor that he lived under. That's what they, that's what they represented. And so John sees it very clearly. Remember, John, he's in prison. John is in exile on the island Patmos. He is a religious, political prisoner, exiled. They can't kill him. You can't kill John. You, they killed the other guys. But by the time John's there, he's, he's, way too, he's way too famous. He's a rock star. It's easier just to put him away. If you kill him, you, you bring a little bit of an uprising of people. So you just do the, the, the expedient thing. You put him away in exile, and he suffers, languishing out there. He's worshiping, and now God's appearing to him and showing him what it is. And so John, he looks and goes, yeah, I know. I understand Rome. I understand what's going on. The ten kings are ten vassal states. They unite to fight against the lamb and the saints. So these are 10 vassal states, just as Herod was a vassal of Rome. They called him a king. He wasn't a true king. He was a vassal to Rome. And they had these vassals. And he's saying, you know what? There are 10 kings. There are vassals out there who are coming in. And they are going to unite to fight the lamb and the saints. So those who are called and chosen are faithful. He says, those who are called and chosen are faithful. The angel tells them um, it, it calls for a mind of wisdom. That's the word of God. So he comes in and he says, this calls for a mind with wisdom. How do we get a mind with wisdom? We get a mind with wisdom in the word of God. As we come to the word of God, as we come to the things of God, if we, if we want wisdom, wisdom comes from God. So Psalm 119.11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 37, 30 and 31 says, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. So he's coming in, the psalmist is telling us that it's through the word of God that we find wisdom. This is how we understand and know these things. So as we come in, we, we will come in and, and see this and be drawn to it. So what am I consuming? What am I producing? What am I consuming? And, and it says that all of, these, all of these vassal states, they will all come in and give their power. They will all serve this one king to accomplish his purposes. And, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast, and they're going to make war on the lamb, on the people of God. And 
And so that is, that is where it goes. And the interesting thing is, it says, and lamb will conquer them. So here's the great thing is we come in and we read the book of Revelation. It's a reminder, God is sovereign and we win. We win. The results are totally known. So the final thing is, what am I trusting? What am I producing? What am I consuming? What am I trusting? In verses 15 through 18, it says, And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose uh, by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So what am I trusting? What is it that I'm trusting in? Um, the, uh, The picture here is God causes these 10 kings to unite in a civil war. They unite in a civil war against the woman. So at, at one time, we see the woman, we see Babylon. Babylon is the great power. Now, all of a sudden, there's this war, and Babylon will collapse. She will fall, um, and God caused the ten kings to unite. It says, God put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast. So they destroy the woman by joining with the beast. God is sovereign. Remember, this is the big theme of the book. God is a sovereign. He can cause nations to rise against nations. He brings kings to power. He takes them out of power. Um, He even uses those who hate him to accomplish his ultimate purpose. So the word of God is going to be fulfilled. That's what we see here towards the end as as we come in and look as, as the woman tries to destroy the people of God, God rises up and, and brings another enemy to take her out. In Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, God says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And in other words, what are we trusting? Are we trusting in the things around us? Are we trusting in, in, in the stuff of this world? Are we trusting in our government? Are we trusting in our, you know, whatever it is that we have? Are we trusting in God? God causes this. He brings up rulers and he takes them down. Does they receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast? One hour. Short, brief period of time. It's a flame out. Quick. And God causes this to happen. So all of a sudden, everything that was happening, everybody coming in and trusting in Babylon, as you come back in, in, at the beginning of the chapter, and the people who followed this woman, who followed in to her beauty, who followed into her opulence, who followed into the pleasure that she offered and followed into all of this, all of a sudden the script gets flipped on them. And God raises up this other thing and he brings up rulers and he takes them down. In Daniel 2.21, which is the picture of this, it says he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So God is the one who is ultimately holding everything and bringing things to come or to go. So as as we come in here 
and, and we look, we, we see that, um, <clears throat> that God brings this thing to happen. He causes a civil war. So Babylon's destroyed. Babylon is destroyed. So let's go back to John. John is in Rome. He's there in the seven hills, the seven mountains. He's in this place. He's oppressed by Rome. And we look at Rome, and Rome is, is, is glorious. It's opulent. I mean, there's stuff from Rome still there. You know, the Colosseum, you can go over there and, and see it. You know, you see pictures of it. You can go online and see pictures of, of the Roman Empire and of all the things that they built and all of their power and, and, and wisdom and, and so forth. But here's an interesting thing about Rome. The great empire that endured over 500 years was taken out in one week by the Goths. One week. In August of 410 AD, Rome fell in one week. Just think about that. Rome, the mightiest nation that had ever stood, the greatest superpower there ever was. And, and I would say if there's, if there's not something that we should heed, the fall of Rome is something that we should heed. Because you know how Rome fell? From the inside out. They didn't fall from the outside in. They didn't fall because they didn't have might and power. They fell because they rotted from the inside out. They lost their values. They lost their direction. They lost their purpose. They had false gods. They had false desires. They chased after all of the things of the woman on scarlet. That's the way it went. One week ended 500 years of dominance. Here's the thing. God wins. God wins. He will win. As a matter of fact, it's not in the future that he wins. He's already won. He already won. He won the battle. Jesus won the battle on the cross. He said, it's finished. It is finished. This is why John can be on the island in Patmos. He can be in exile. He can be in jail. He can be imprisoned as a political prisoner. He can be persecuted. He can suffer being boiled in oil. He can suffer the, the, the fact that he's looking at people that he's led to Christ who are suffering for their faith. He can go into all of that and he can sit there in total peace and comfort, worshiping God on the Lord's day, day in and day out, 90 some odd years old, knowing that Jesus has never failed him. It's like Polycarp. Polycarp, they, they burned him for his faith at the stake. You can read about it. And they said, Polycarp, renounce your faith. And he said, for like four score and 10 or whatever it was, for like 80 years, Jesus has been faithful to me. I will not be unfaithful to him. Light the fire. Light the fire. That's a human example of it, but this is where it comes. So as we come and we come into this picture and you see Babylon and we see everything coming down and going down, look at it from John's perspective. Come in and go back through the eyes of this old man, this old man in his 90s, this old man who walked with Jesus for three years as he was a very, very young man who watched Jesus turn the water into wine, who watched Jesus heal the dead, who watched Jesus cast out demons, who watched Jesus go to a bloody death on a cross as a suffering servant sacrificed for 
the sins of man and gave everything up. Watch this old man and watch what he's doing and watch this vision that he has and watch his responses and come in and know that he trusted in the God who has already won. He is sovereign. So the question that we must ask ourselves today, what do we trust? What do we trust? What do we produce? What are we producing? And what am I consuming? What am I taking in on a daily basis? What are the things that I'm bringing into my life? What am I bringing into my eyes? What am I watching? Does it honor Jesus? Does it honor God? Does it honor my wife? Does it honor the women around me? What am I taking in? Does it honor the men around me? Your husband? Children? Is it good and right and real? What is it that I am trusting? Where am I going for entertainment? Where am I going for pleasure? Where am I going for satisfaction? Where am I diving in? Deep and drinking. Because you see, I think that God wants us to be drunk on the Spirit, not drunk on the stuff of this world. He said, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He said, don't don't drink the stuff of this world. Allow it to drive the bus. Drink the stuff of God and allow it to consume you and change you and make you whole. In Isaiah 31, verse 1, it says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, those who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. In other words, he's saying, look, don't, don't look to the things of this world to meet your needs and, and, and to hold you up. Trust God. Trust God. Trust Him. Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord. That's where He's telling us to trust. That's where God is moving us. So as we come in and, and, and we look at all of that, you know what? I think the most amazing picture that we can look at um, as we come in and, and contrast this, as, as we come into Mother's Day, I remember, I remember when our first child was born, I remember the look on my wife's face. I remember seeing something I'd never seen before. Never seen it. And it's a, a nurture and a love that God has placed in someone. I see it in my daughter. It's oh, so amazing. And there's nothing richer in this world than to see that love and that nurture and that care that God has given us the capacity to have. And we celebrate that today, right? 
I mean, we do. We celebrate the ladies here, all of our ladies, because that's how God has uniquely created and gifted and made you able to love. And then we lay it over the false lie that this world offers to us. And we say, you know, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want to produce? What do I want to consume? What do I want to trust? And it just makes it so clear, doesn't it? I don't want the whore in Babylon. I don't want that. You don't want that. You want the God who gives, the God who loves, the God who sacrifices, the God who unconditionally loves you and will nurture you, even in your rebellion. He will lovingly hold your feet to the fire so that you can be everything that he brought you in this world. That's the hope. That's the hope that God is offering us. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope that we have as a church. And I want to challenge you today to look at it and say, you know what? What am I doing? What am I doing? What's your plan? What's your plan to grow spiritually? You got one? If you don't, you need to make one. How are you doing that? What are you taking in? What are you allowing to influence you? And then finally, are you trusting God? Are you trusting? Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We thank you. We praise you for who you are, for what you've done, Father, for the life that you offer to us. And, and Father, we pray that you'll protect us from the deception of the beast, from the deception of the things of this world, from the, the things that, that shine and look beautiful, yet underneath they bring destruction. Father, help us to know and to trust you and to know that you offer us life, you offer us hope, you offer us meaning, you offer us joy beyond imagination, you offer us a life that is full, rich, meaningful. We pray that you'll give us the wisdom to trust you and a desire to produce through the Spirit in our lives and others around. Pray this. Stand as Amy leads us.